Hey Tagalong friends, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get started, I want to invite you to join our community of athletes developing their athletic performance every day with the nearly 100 pros on our platform. You can do so by downloading our app on the iOS app store under Tagalong with a Pro. And please don't tell Nick I stole his intro. We are supported by Riot Energy, the 100 plant-based energy drink. With better energy and zero added sugar, we are sure to get the best out of our workouts without the jitters or crashing afterwards. You can enjoy 15% off their product with the code TAGALONG15, that's TAGALONG15 at riot.energy. Wake up your energy with the power of plants. All right, here's Canadian Olympic runner, Lainey Marchand. And again, please don't tell Nick about the whole intro thing. He'll, he'll get upset. All right, you ready? Yeah. Cool. All right, how are we doing, everybody? Welcome to another Tag Along podcast. We have Lanny Marchant with us today. Uh, Lanny is a professional Canadian long-distance runner from London, Ontario. On October 20th, 2013, she set the Canadian women's marathon record at the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon, beating a 28-year-old national record by running it in two hours and 28 minutes flat. She loves to share her knowledge about maximizing training at home, on the road, and coming back from an injury. She is a 2016 Rio Olympian in the 10K and marathon and a 2015 bronze medalist at the Pan Am Games and currently training for Tokyo. Uh, she also runs as a, uh, she is sponsored by Under Armour. Um, Lanny, thank you so much for taking the time. Big fans of yours. Uh, we know you are catching you in between uh, training sessions right now. And, uh, you know, a real hard hitter to start off with. How, how did you end up in running? How, most people go through, you know, what didn't make the soccer team, you know, weren't, you know, what, what is the story here? Uh, so I always loved running, but uh, really what happened is I grew up figure skating. It's like a typical Canadian rite of passage. And when I would get in trouble, because um, as people know in my adult life, I tend to question authority or kind of go against the grain sometimes. I was very much like that as a kid. And when I would get in trouble, they'd tell me to run laps to the parking lot. And it just got to be where I would much rather. i just show up at the rink and be like, you know what? It's fine. I'll just go run the laps. Like, you're going to yell at me anyways. I'll just go start the laps now. Uh, but my mom always jokes that it shows how big of a brat I am that I took someone's punishment and made a career out of it. It's just kind of like, all right, bet, here we go. <laughs> Not just became good at it, made a legitimate career out of it, too. That's what yes. it is. So obviously you've represented Canada multiple times. What's kind of been the difference between the U.S. system and the Canadian system? Can you, can you kind of share a little bit about what you know between those two? When, when, when making a US, like U.S. team versus a Canadian team? Yeah, I'd say initially starting out in my career, um, I found the U.S. system to be a bit more fair because it was top three across the line was standard. And right. um, so basically your trials mattered, whereas in Canada for the longest time, even if you were top three at nationals, you had to have an A standard and a B standard and proof fitness and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, it has gotten a lot better in Canada over the last couple of years, ironically, when I've been injured and ill and not able to capitalize on it. Uh, but for example, for me to make the Rio team, I ran the 10,000 meter standard in April of 2015. I ran 3211. Olympic standard was 3215. I then ran 
Um, that following spring, I ran, no, sorry, later that spring, uh, May of 2015, I ran 3146. So that's the second time under Olympic standard. And then I still had to go back and run under the standard again, one more time on the track and one more time on the road in 2016. Um, and because I did both events, I ran my marathon standard. I ran 228.09 in October of 2015. And the standard was 229.50, I believe. And then the for Canada, the Olympic standard was actually a bit slower. But Canada's standard was 229.50. So again, we made a harder standard in the marathon. So even though I'd run well under the IOC standard and well under Canada's standard in both events, like I said, in the 10,000, I had to keep proving fitness. In the marathon, I had to run a half marathon under 111, or sorry, under 112 to prove fitness at World Half Marathon Champs. And then I also had to do a 30K time trial two days after the 10K Road Race Championships to show that I could, in fact, double. (laughs) And then even when I ticked all those boxes, there still ended up being um, an issue on whether or not I had proven that I could run both events or should do both events. So fortunately, um, a lot, a large reason, largely because of what I had to go through, the system got changed and it's a lot better now, um, where you basically run standard and you have to be top three Uh, Top three with standard at nationals go. So as long as you finish in the top eight, so as long as you make it into the finals of your round or if it's a 5K or 10K, you have to still finish in the top eight. But so long as you have standard, then they just rank you according to that. And the, like, proof of fitness stuff is gone, thankfully. Because, I mean, I don't know about you all, but if I'm training for the Olympics, I'm not going to, like, sit on my butt eating potato chips. Like, I'm in shape the last thing I need to do is peak 16 different times before I even get to the games. So we, it's a lot better. We know better. you can do this, but we need a couple more examples of you yeah. this before Just we want we, to We, we love good governing body stories like that. Yeah. It's <laughs> a so, big favorite of that. Oh, uh, it's just, right. I'm like, I understand. I Part of me understands the why, in ter- especially with the 10,000 and the marathon, our windows are so long. But at the I'm training and I'm let me just do my normal race calendar and you're going to see that I'm ticking all the boxes. Uh, so it doesn't seem like the U.S. has ever done anything quite that aggressive to its athletes. Um, I do know sometimes there's some politics with any governing body, but um, it seems like the my view of the U.S. system has always just been like you get it done on the day and that's it. Yeah. What, um, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit here, like you, you grew up in Ontario, but then went across the border to go to school at Michigan State. How, how was your career there? Did you, like, at what point during your collegiate career were you like, oh, I can, all right, I'm competing. Like, I can, like, when did, did you have, like, a, a my, <laughs> did you have, like, a, a mental shift at all? Or, like, or you just kept, kept going, kept moving. Cause I mean, and then from Michigan state, obviously you, you not, obviously I know that you went on to study law at um, Nashville at Chattanooga there. Like, so what, what was that, that kind of transition through maintain, like being a real person in the real world, but still competing professionally and being the top Canadian athlete. So you actually have it flipped. So I did my undergrad in Tennessee and at at no point did I ever, did I ever think I was going to be a professional runner. I spent the majority of my collegiate career on crutches and aqua jogging. And that's why I ended up doing triathlons, um, for three or four years there. Cause 
I was in great tri shape from cross training so much. Um, yeah. So it never running was always a means to an end. It was run fast enough to get a scholarship, run fast enough to maintain my scholarship. When I finished running at UT Chattanooga, my both feet were broken. Like I was broken. I like just I like kind of took a break from running. And then when I started law school, I did my Canadian law degree first in University of Ottawa. And I randomly happened to be at a wedding that my high school and like club coach was at. And he's like, you know, if you want to just like run for fun, cross country championships are like provincial championships are literally an hour from your law school. Like just run for fun and do it. And I ended up winning <laughs> the provincial cross country championships. Um, and I was like, okay. What year and, is this? What year uh, is this? That, that would have been fall of 2007 I believe and uh so then I was like okay like I can be a decent like post-collegiate runner but again it was like running mostly not to get fat in law school and pay for some of my tuition or pay for my books like law school's expensive and I was doing it all on my own um and then I transferred to Michigan State and did my American law degree and that's where I really started to pick it up on the roads and got talked into doing my first marathon um, it wasn't anything great. I think it was like a 249. But then I was studying for the bar exam, got talked into a second marathon, ran 244. And then really, I'd say 2012, not that it was an Olympic year or anything. It's just random moments of serendipity that I met a Kenyan guy um, who used to do a bunch of pacing in the early 90s in the U.S. And he kind of heard about my like random like progression in running and... When I told him my training, like, I'm only running 40 miles a week because I'm, in, quote, unquote, injury prone. Um, he's like, you ran 244 off 40 miles a week? Like, no, come to Kenya, train, <laughs> you're sub 230. Uh, so I went to Kenya for, I think, like, eight weeks at the start of 2012, uh, which is scary. Like, I had sp spent my whole life planning to become a lawyer. I literally practiced law for, like, four months, and it was like, all right. <laughs> I'm going to practice remotely, like, don't fire me. Um, so my law firm let me do that. I was able to go over there, work remotely, came back, ran Rotterdam, ran 231 high. So took like 13 minutes off my Whoa. marathon time, which was under the IOC standard, but not under Canada standard. So we petitioned, but I got told I wasn't a rising star in the sport. I got told I was a flash in the pan, that 231 was a fluke. So they didn't send me to the Olympics. And so... Real, true, real confidence booster. <laughs> right? Well, then I went to Worlds in 2013 and it didn't go well. I, everyone dropped out. I cramped up. It was a horrible experience. So then my brain was kind of like, well, maybe they're right. Like, maybe I should just be a lawyer. Um, in between all that, the law firm that I was working for fired me in an email on my birthday. So life just kind of sucked for a minute Solid. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? But, up, um, down, up, down, up, down, down. Right? So then after Worlds, and that was August of 2013, so I've been told I'm, no good, I'm not good enough to go to the Olympics. I've now pooped the bed at Worlds. I'm jobless, quasi-homeless, and uh, I, my coach and I were like, let's just keep training. 10K championships are coming up. You can win some money there. Again, like running like literally was a means to an end. Like, it was just like, okay, make some money, pay your rent, make some money, do this, pay your student loans off. So we kept training for the 10K. That was September, end of September of 2013. And then he's like, you're still fit. Like I won the 10K championships and it didn't really feel that bad. So then 
we did one or two like longer tempos and then I called the race director at Toronto Waterfront Marathon I called Alan Brooks and was like hey like I don't have any money to get up to race but if you'll at least cover the flight can I come race the marathon and then that's when I set the record or the previous record so if anything I think it just shows like just things can get really shitty really bad really quick but like things can also get really great and get a lot better just as quickly. You just kind of have to like be willing to ride out the lows and like wait for the highs. And so that's kind of how it was. I think Nick and I both, you know, not to that degree, like of these ups <laughs> and downs, but have felt that. And I think that's, <laughs> I have at least, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's one of the reasons why we really wanted tag along to work because like we wanted to, to not have to have less people in that position right so that you're not having to you know like sports for everybody is supposed to be something that you really enjoy and you have a lot of fun and you can make a career out of it but when it becomes something where it's like if I don't run and win this race I'm not going to be able to pay rent (laughs) like that that's too much that's too much it's scary Um, yeah it can it can be scary but it can be so like like are you someone who gets motivated by fear or are you motivated by like i just want to get better but when you're yeah. you know in between a rock and a hard place sometimes there's no there's no alternative well um, people always ask me what makes the africans so good and mind you like obviously i wasn't going to be destitute i could have always just gone even got gone to like a donut shop and gotten a job right like whereas I have a, I think I have a better understanding of why the Africans, these Africans are so good is they're literally running for their lives. Like they're running for their livelihood. So if I had a very small taste of it, but I had a very privileged taste of it that I was in debt because I went to law school. I was quasi jobless and quasi homeless because I decided I'm almost good enough to make the Olympics. Like I was making decisions that would result in me being destitute at times yeah but there is still a safe there's still more of a safety net for us than there is um for the east africans and that's where when people always ask me like what makes them so good is it the altitude is it this i was like it's all of it it's that they literally don't have a choice sometimes if they don't win that race they don't they don't pay their, for their family ed kemboy who is a kenyan runner and that was like that's what he told us he was like this the reason why everybody runs is because they know that's the way out of not continuing the lifestyle that they grew up in. And it's, it makes you realize that, you know, and there's, there's a couple different things too. You know, we talked to another athlete, Anika, and she was talking about how that was a way for her to get out. And, you know, you watch all these uh, last chance use, that's another way for sport for people to get out. So it's, it it really broadens everybody's perspective and like yeah this has a multi-component thing to it yeah, exactly so obviously we know what you're capable of <laughs> we know how <laughs> fast you are uh but i'd love to to ask what was your mem- like what is the mental approach coming into you know obviously 2020 but really 2021 compared to 2016 obviously you you're a different athlete tell us a little bit about you know how you approach it mentally and obviously you had a hip surgery in between so mentally and physically yeah physically a bit different I'm sure (laughs) yeah um I'd say 2016 it was more is my federation can get in the way like there was no doubt like I had already run the times I knew I could keep running the times like there was no doubt in my capability 
it, the, the issues came from outside of my control. This time around, because I've had, I had surgery in 2017, 2018, and 2019, kidney, hip, abdominal. And then in between that, I've had like, you know, like, like most athletes, you get back and then you have a flare up of something else. So I've had femoral stress fractures, stuff like that flare up in the last couple of years as well. Um, so this time, like I said, the Federation actually seems great. <laughs> um, the question is if my body is going to be ready and able to do it. Um, I think I'm one of the few athletes that 2020 being postponed into 2021 actually helped me because I missed so much training um, throughout the last five years when you really think about it, which is scary to think about. Um, so yeah, this time it's more, I feel like I have a better understanding of my colleagues, my teammates and my friends that haven't made an Olympic team, but were good enough to make it where like, there's no guarantee you put everything on the line and you don't know that you get to go like, cause it's whether or not your body performs on the day, if the races come together, etc. I didn't have to experience that last time. I had people, I had governing bodies. I had bureaucrats in my way last time. This time I legit, like it's whether or not I'm good enough to make it. And it's just, it's a interesting position to be in having already made a team. Um, but it, I actually, I feel like I'm enjoying it better. Cause like I, I know the stakes a bit better and it's like, it literally just comes down to me. That's awesome. Um, I was going to ask you like, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the sport and track and field typically has pretty tight grip around what their athletes, what they want their athletes to do or, or not to do. I mean, there's been so many examples of from Nick Simmons, you know, wearing this, this thing that's going to be covered on his shoulder. Like what, what are, have you, you've been in the sport now for a while, you've made a career out of it. Um, what, have you seen some positive changes to it? Like what is the shift, whether or not this last year, but um, just in the past, you know, a little bit uh, since your experience with Canadian system, like have you seen some positive changes to, to help grow the sport? I'd say yes and no. I mean, like the Nick Simmons thing, we, we still had athletes at Pan Am Games in 2019 getting in trouble for raising a fist on the, the podium, right? Like, and then you go back to what Olympics was at the 70, was it 76 Olympics? Where the 68, athletes, uh, six, 68 sorry, yeah. where the athletes did the same thing and they were vilified and then now celebrated, but we're repeating history. We're vilifying the athletes for doing it, whether or not athletes can take a knee or protest, like, I'd say we've come a long way that athletes are starting to use their voices more. We're just also, we're still going to always see pushback, but I think as long as athletes remain as a collective whole and we all support each other. And if somebody like, obviously in the middle of the race, like don't do anything that's going to trip up your competitors or anything. But if you want to throw a fist up or um, like the Ethiopian athlete did it in Rio at the end of the men's marathon, when he put his arms up in the cross above his head, like, that doesn't hurt anybody. It's him taking his stand for his country and his beliefs. And I don't see why we we want to f- promote tolerance, but we don't actually tolerate tolerance. <laughs> um, yeah. We promote so, it on paper when it comes down to it. Yeah. Everyone's like, nah, yeah, but not an actuality. Yeah. No, like all the sponsors want to get behind and sponsor the athletes that go out on the limb and do these things. But then really they don't because then like, stuff happens behind closed doors we have seen big changes for women though and their ability to be pregnant through their contracts and not be penalized for it so it's kind of like two steps forward one step back and I think 
as much as social media takes a lot of hits for being a negative in the world because I feel like every little girl thinks she has to look like a Kardashian unfortunately there are huge benefits to social media and to just the platform it's given all athletes from any background and any level to just be able to draw attention to things and um, have a voice and not necessarily just constantly be told to shut up by their federations because obviously I was running laps as a 10 year old figure skater for speaking up against like rules so it's been my personality my whole life but I recognize part of what has made me the athlete I am is that I was willing to speak up when other athletes weren't and now I think more athletes are finding their voices which is helpful for me it takes the um, heat kind of off me to always be the one but uh, yeah I think we're seeing some changes it'll be interesting with 2021 Olympics hopefully they still happen they say they're gonna happen but you never know um it'll be interesting to see with rule 40 like what happens with the advertisements and if athletes are allowed to promote their brands or other sponsors because it's going to be a weird olympics with no fans i see them i they can go one of two ways either aren't going to give a damn or they're going to crack down even harder it's just you don't know until you know everything being televised you know is that something that well i'll do this interview if i can do this like you yeah i saw it with like lewis hamilton in the formula one series on netflix like I'm sure that there was something built in where you could tell, like, we, we will do this, but we are passionate about these things. We want to make sure that our voice is heard. And I think it's starting to open up a lot more doors for athletes and not just kind of that, just do the athlete thing. It's like, no, oh, I'm a person and I have views and I want to make sure yeah. that those views are getting out there. So, Yeah, we're not performers. Like, we're not, like, it's not like dance monkey dance. Like, you can't just right. make, have us out there. Fine, we do make careers of it. But... Uh, uh, proper celebrities who choose the celebrity lifestyle get to have a voice and get to have a say and get to have a cause athletes we become celebrities by nature of the promotions that happen around what we accomplish and for that because of that we somehow lose our ability to have purpose or have a voice and that's never made sense to me and obviously it's not something I've ever like accepted yeah Yeah. it's been super cool to watch you evolve obviously but you know knowing how much you've you've you in a way you've sacrificed a lot through your name and in in and your stance on things because you know people are always gonna speak out against you I remember when I met you in Canada like you were telling me like people were writing terrible stuff to you and (laughs) you know when you when you stood up for yourself and for women and for you know for your right to go to like your earned right to go to the Olympics and so obviously you've yeah you've you've had a big stance on, on a lot of different things including that um that whole photo thing with the the shoes and and whatnot yeah so you're a big fan of Marilyn Monroe who also is like has that similar vibe and you know you run Mm -hmm. for UA women and stuff so you have a a large influence and I would want to know what are the benefits of that influence how like can you tell us a little bit more specifically about things that you've seen evolve that you're like, wow, like I've had a great impact on people and, you know, women or the sport or whatever. Yeah. I, um, with the, like the, the photo shoot with just my hair and my shoes covering (laughs) my body. Um, I just think it's interesting. I probably was about six months too early for me too. like what I was saying was fairly in, in line with that. I just 
was saying a bit earlier than when it took traction or um, got attention. Uh, But it was similar with when I spoke out about not looking like your typical distance runner and my struggles with eating disorders to force my body to look away that it's never going to look. I'm never going to have twig legs. Like these quads aren't going away. Um, And then you saw Ali Kiefer come out and start saying kind of the same messaging and it took hold. And so my, I was talking to my sister about it. She goes, does that ever bother you? That like you say something and it doesn't really, you get like all the flack and then someone else says it and they, they end up celebrated for it and they, they build a platform. And I was for me, no, as long as I always look at it as like the, the torch lighting for the Olympics. Like if I started the flame and I help, if I help one person become more confident or more capable of speaking out or saying something, then that's my job. That's what I've done. And whether I get title or accolades from it, like I, that's not why I'm doing it. I don't like seeing disparity and injustices in um, any circumstances. So I really, I like when I see someone like an Ali Kiefer um, come out and just be able to be more vocal and, and get a bigger following and get other athletes uh, to, to speak out about it. Um, we see after I did that, the photo shoot, I, we started seeing more athletes, more female athletes talk about their experiences on if I'm, if you call me sexy, why does that mean I'm no longer a role model? Like I, like that's your tag that you're putting on me. And even if I call myself sexy, why can't I be sexy and still be a role model? Like, it's not my job to raise your kids. You teach them what's appropriate. I'm just here being myself. Um, so it has been really cool to see a shift in my like female teammates and colleagues and just see them be more willing to put themselves out there. And like I said, it takes the pressure off me. Like when I testified in front of parliament about women in sports, about the issues, about the comments on our bodies, it wasn't well received at the time. But then I started to see more and more of my teammates and like my beach volleyball teammates from the Olympics comment and go, this is what we compete in. Like, stop, you know, over-sexualizing us. Like, yeah, like a bikini by nature can be sexy, but you're missing the point of what we're doing. Like those beach volleyball women are beasts. Like they train hard, they work hard. And if they want to wear bikini bottoms, let them. When it's cold, they wear more clothes. Um, I remember drawing attention to the fact that our male divers wear the teeniest, tiniest swimsuits and nobody detracts from their accomplishments by what they wear to compete in. So I I have been able to enjoy seeing other female athletes come out and speak on these issues and be empowered by whether something I said or something that another athlete has said that, like I said, if the torch just gets gets carried on, I really don't care if I was a person that lit the flame or if I'm the hundredth person who gets the torch. It's just as long as the messaging is consistent and continues. That's awesome. Uh, I think that's why we are big fans of yours and why <laughs> I think people like following you, working with you, whether tag along or otherwise. I think that you put out there a version of yourself that is true and genuine. And, uh, you know, I think that more and more people are uh, learning that that they prefer that way. Um, so thank you very much. And we're, we're, we're so excited to follow you in these next couple of months, see what happens. Um, big fans of Lanny. We have this final little rapid fire section here at the end, uh, you know, real hard hitting questions here. So uh, the first one we want to know is what is your go-to snack? Oh, um, it depends. If it's before a workout, it's gummy bears. Um, if it's after, after a workout or just in general, it's these um, lesser evil paleo puffs. They're like fake cheddar flavor. They're like grain-free, dairy-free, all that. We were, but they are, they're, they're like crack. I'm addicted. 
we were just talking about this. I was like, I bet you she's going to say gummy bears because when I went and followed you on the bike, you were like munching gummy bears. She's like, I don't know. Yeah. She left so, She left some weird uh, puff uh, cracker things at my apartment yeah. in Miami. <laughs> so. I was like, I tried them. They may have been stale or that may have been how they were. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not judging, but uh, I didn't eat them. Uh, next question. Secret hobby or interest that you have? Oh, um, well, we all know that my affinity for beer drinking. So my like major interest is like always figuring out like brews and going to breweries and kind of when you could do brewery tours, um, figuring out about their, their hops and stuff. Um, otherwise I have been working on my French with Duolingo. So I've been trying to, with my French last name and being from Canada, everyone was asking me if I speak French and I used to be able to. So I've been working on getting that back. I'm still pretty terrible at it, but it'll come in time. Nice, nice. Uh, what's the last hard workout that you did? Um, well, to completion was on Saturday. We did 10 times 400, and I haven't done speed work since the Olympics, so it's been hurting. So I did 10 times 400 all in 71s, and I haven't seen a 71, like I said, in about five years. Uh, but it's kind of funny, like I've been training with the German team that's here. Um, Gesa Kraus is the Olympic, or sorry, world bronze medalist, two-time bronze medalist in the steeplechase. And I, it's, I kind of relate it to tag along where people can train with us and kind of get us to push them. Like I'm basically doing the same. Like I am holding <laughs> on to dear life to these Germans. Uh, today was supposed to be a big workout, but we all got vaccinated yesterday and we just kind of showed up. Nice. We tried. We did the first two repeats. It was supposed to be... Um, K, K repeats and 2K repeats. So for you Americans, that's just over 800 meters and just over a mile. Um, so we started, we did the first K repeats and we weren't bad. We just all felt kind of flat. So we canned it and we will bump it to Saturday now. Cool. You got to adjust. Uh, well, now that you've mentioned tag along, um, <laughs> if you could tag along with anyone, any athlete dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, other than Gesa Kraus, who's been kicking my butt. Um, <laughs> or maybe you currently like, are, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, I am doing I think, it. Yeah. I think right now I am. Like, I I don't think I've met a more accomplished but more down-to-earth and just more, like, she's just honest with herself, with you, with anything around it. Like, she's such a good person, and she's somebody who could have the pick of the litter of who she wanted to train with, and she's letting this old schlop, like tag along literally with her so um yeah i think if it would be gaysa cool awesome uh and last one here what is your favorite quote or advice that you live by oh um that's a good one i have a few that are coming to mind there's one it's audrey hepburn and i always kind of misquote it but it's like never um, throw anyone away people more than things need to be renewed restored and something I forget the end of it but I like I've always liked that one because like I would say if anybody looked at my career they'd probably look and say like why is this girl still going after 2016 but like I'm gonna keep trying and that's kind of the beauty of whatever you try to do in life is like don't don't throw someone away just because they're not achieving what you want them to achieve or not they're not doing what you want them to do now doesn't mean that they can't Investing in people is, is the name of the game. I think oh, the, yeah. 
we live in such a materialistic world and we tend to look at results and I think that the whole point of this podcast was like to yeah. you know shine light <laughs> on the person and not the result and I think that's a great closing yeah, I'm done. <laughs> That's yeah. it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's been awesome. Like, obviously, I've known you for a couple of years now, and I think the, the reason people like working with you is because you put the work in. And I think to your, to your point, like, you've been putting the work in. Success doesn't happen overnight. Like, you've stayed true to yourself, and, you know, we're excited to see what happens this year. So yeah. glad that you're, you're settled into your new place now, working yeah. with some of the Germans, and, and yeah, make sure they keep, keep pulling you around so we can see what yeah. happens later this year. So. Yeah. Thank you so I, much. I'm going to get time. faster. I'm either, I'm either going to get faster or I'm literally going to drop dead. It's going to be one <laughs> or the other. I don't know which. <laughs> well, we wish you the best. Yeah, thank yeah, you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for, for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Awesome. Thanks. And that's a wrap for episode six with Canadian Olympic runner Lainey Marchant. Big thank you to her for supporting Tagalong every step of the way and uh, taking some time to chat with us about her athletic journey and where she's going this summer. If you are interested in working one-on-one with Lanny, you can find her on the app or you can reach out to us via Instagram, our website, anything, and we'll help you set it up. Again, thank you very much for listening to the podcast and we hope you'll take a quick moment to rate it five stars. We'll catch you next week. See ya. See ya.